Hello and welcome to the Children in Books podcast. Today um, we have a special guest here. It's Hannah Tofts and she's an artist and designer. Hannah, maybe you want to introduce yourself. <laughs> yes, I trained as a designer and illustrator and have worked uh, illustrating, writing children's books, as well as commercial work for over 35 years, and taught everyone from a three-year-old up to a 99-year-old, design students uh, as well. And everything that I mostly make myself is from the thrown away and found, lost and found. And everything I've made to teach is always to try and show something difficult or ordinary in an extraordinary and inspiring way. So it's about having lots of play, fun, and performance. So as to how I've ever called a label on myself, that's why I've never had a business card, I've got round to calling myself creative creature. <laughs> But these days, it's easier <laughs> if I call myself artist designer because that's sort of okay. easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hello, Hannah. <laughs> Hello from Leipzig. I'm very happy that you are with us. And I have got a question because you said you made a lot of children books. How did you decide, yes, I like to illustrate it? Did you take every book you get or did you say, ah, this I love, there, is, there are coming ideas to me? It happens. I'm the daughter of a bookbinder. So, well, rather rephrase it. My mother was a bookbinder. And so I've grown up with the world of print and illustration and design really mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. all my childhood and been exposed mm -hmm. to seeing, and she was an illustrator as well, and seeing how text and images put together. However, I never really was going to go down this path. But in the old days of the 80s, I used to have lots of gin and tonics at the Chelsea Arts Club. <laughs> and that is how work came about. You'd meet various people casually and there was lots of money. But it was because I was doing some illustrations for a children's magazine years, oh my gosh, years ago, uh, out of paper and um, cutting and sticking Um Uh, there's a lovely Dutch phrase called knip and pluck, and that is the cut and stick. And I became the cut and stick queen. And I did these <laughs> illustrations, which were sort of showing you how you could make something without doing the classic step-by-step how-to. So these are non-fiction arts books. And the illustrations were so new because they were all photographed and uh, mostly three-dimensional. And uh, mm -hmm. they asked if, uh, over many gins, <laughs> we said, there's so many ideas, let's create a series of books. And it actually started a whole new imprint and title, um, which had started with a children's magazine called Jump. And um, it grew and grew like things did when there was that money around and opportunity. And I did 15 uh, titles with paper, print, 3D, collage, so on in that area and then I introduced a friend of mine who did more of the science side and um, then his wife did the knitting and the textile side and it was a friend of mine who was a photographer he photographed it all and there was very small text because I was opposed to the step-by-step -step. I felt that those types of children's books in the 70s were too old-fashioned. So my mm -hmm. thought, which was in those days, 35 years ago, very different to put everything on white mm -hmm. and be photographic and have multi-textures and be yeah. playful 
and not be directive because I really mm-hmm. feel that children, uh, there's not just an ABC way of doing things and there's not a right or a wrong. So I was always trying to say, let's show the possibilities uh, because any interpretation is a great response. Um, mm-hmm. That took quite a while to get through, but it did. And that's what I've continued through doing. And then one book becomes another. Yeah. And then latterly, I ended up being getting quite cross with publishers. I'm going to say this uh, because there are not that many visionaries out there. And you're, I used to mm-hmm. write treatments and go around to New York, to Paris, and uh, to London, and to the Frankfurt Book Fair to present ideas uh, mm-hmm. because that's how it works, which is ridiculous, but it's uh, how it works. And um, then your treatment or proposal would sit on somebody's desk for about nine months. And then you realize there's only about four great editors in the world. So you think, well, I thought at the time, well, if what's the difference between their decision and mine when I felt quite passionate about it? So because my then partner was also a designer and he was very um, early in digital design, et cetera. So we set mm-hmm. up... Um, very long time ago doing digital books ourselves and starting them ourselves which was now I think about it quite bold <laughs> because but, it, but that means you you very early started to make books on your own yes I, I think uh, I moved to Holland when so I you was are in, a you are a kind of pioneer in many cases <laughs> do you know you're the second person today who said that only in a different <laughs> context and I that's exactly that's interesting Tufala, as they say in Dutch, uh, serendipity. It's, um, yes, I, 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 and I think I was, I had quite a few people say that I was quite ahead of my time. For example, mm-hmm. when I set up my zebra a children's mm-hmm. character, I wanted to do a non-traditional beginning, middle, and end book. And I wanted it to have sound bites and asides and always about nature. He didn't talk. That was pretty radical. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was treated in collage and hand-drawn. But the idea was to have nature facts around it. Mm-hmm. So, But that didn't exist. They didn't. The publishing houses yeah. didn't like fiction and non-fiction mixing. They had to mm-hmm. have separate lists. And it was very, very basic. They didn't have merchandising. They did not know about marketing. Mm-hmm. Their design was very much led in this country uh, to um, the editorial and the words. So it was may I say it, a little old-fashioned and traditional, whereas the Spanish um, and the Americans were very funky and doing great stuff. So Zebra was, and I I had got it right through to CBBC to do some animations and uh, a whole series. But in those days, it was still considered a way out because it was collage and it wasn't um, done on the computer and it wasn't this fiction, non-fiction. So mm. uh, it's still to this day, um, well, we self-published it, but I haven't properly published him. But today, again, somebody said, why don't you restart him again? Because he's all there and he's still fresh. And it's, it's, a, funny, yeah. it's a funny thing. But we published him in Dutch through a newspaper, Heparol, and uh, uh-huh. through a great visionary. And I believe you have to have some luck meeting some visionaries. I haven't had enough luck, but <laughs> it's never too short. <laughs> for some luck because you it's a hard slog it's a lot of work producing your own book yeah it you is, have to it market is. it and it's all about distribution it's not the actual yeah. doing as one knows yes i think it is half and half huh? one thing is to make this book you like you love it and the other yeah. is the other part is uh, marketing yeah well i think it's even more i think it's 
10% creativity and 90% marketing. And my head doesn't Oops. do that. So uh, <laughs> I never have the energy to do the marketing. And I think yeah. it's crucially and brilliant if you can get somebody else in to do that, for sure. But let's go back to your role as a pioneer at the moment. Mm -hmm. What new thing are you discovering at the moment? At the very moment, I'm rediscovering the seashore. And that's after... Um, working on the plastics washed up here for 11 years now. Mm -hmm. um, and about 25 years ago, I started something called The Lookbook because I was so passionate about arts in schools being more interesting than it is. And again, giving the variety of, of response. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to try and help with visual language and show possibilities. And I've just found the presentation today and I'm going to resurrect it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but based around the seashore, because I think within this climate change, I think it's about getting more and more children interested and aware about our coastline, but what's in it and underneath it. And mm -hmm. even where we live is right on the sea. I've just been talking to people who also don't know what's in it. And um, mm -hmm. so I think that's and that's a continuation from the plastics project, really, of course, because I've um, been picking up plastics for well over 11 years. In fact, I started in 1993 in Australia. And where do you, where do you pick it up? Well, in the last 11 years, I moved from Amsterdam, from a city to the sea. And that's really quite uh, a con concept in itself. And your horizons literally change. So mine, I moved to the head of a loch here on the west coast of Scotland. Uh, which is totally grey and you can't see anything. But when I moved, it was uh, where the sea and the sky meet. It's a totally different horizon mm -hmm. to the urban street. Uh, in Amsterdam, I lived on a canal and I had watched it being full of plastics and uh, trash for a few years and, in fact, documented the moorhens that live on the canals who all build their nests out of plastic trash. And I thought that mm -hmm. was normal. I didn't know these birds actually build their nests in reeds. <laughs> uh, so that was quite an experience to understand. But when I moved from the city to the sea, although I'd been used to beach cleans in our community here, and my mother had moved mm -hmm. many years before, um, mm -hmm. I'd never. it's only when it's on your own doorstep can you not ignore mm -hmm. it. That's a double negative. But yeah. you cannot. Yeah. It's, it's in your face, it's, and it's blowing into my vegetable patch. It's everywhere. And in the first three years I moved, there were these incredible storms, and there was about a meter high of plastics, and it was appalling. Wow. It was appalling. And uh, But because I like plastic color, because I'm a color creature, um, <laughs> I was uh, fascinated and started a little game for myself, uh, picking up orange one day and blue another. And because I document every creative process I'm ever involved with, mm -hmm. and a lot of my children's books are about that, I wouldn't just draw one fish. I would uh, collect different types of fish, from a sardine tin mm -hmm. to a plastic fish to a material yeah. fish, so to give all the senses. So I started collecting by color. And then and this is really uh, crucial and easily forgotten, I was on a beach clean and uh, I met up with a seven-year-old and uh, she said, oh, I'm so bored of you adults making so many problems that we have to solve. Uh, it's yeah. not fun anymore. And I went, bing, 
I'm going to make this fun. I'm going to try and make beach cleans <laughs> fun, but also create uh, imagery to try to inspire about awareness. And that's exactly where this whole project began. And then I got obsessed and then I haven't stopped. And, <laughs> and, I and how can you make... And how you make fun from the beach cleaning? That's a good question. And lots of people say, the thing is, surely making something terrible out of all this plastic in our oceans into something beautiful or fun is wrong. Mm -hmm. Now, in 2009, there's this iconic picture of the albatross chicks with their plastic in their bellies on the Midway Atoll, mm -hmm. uh, photographed yeah. by Chris Jordan. Very iconic. and. It was at the same time I'd moved that year, and I just thought I, it was a time I did a lot of research, and I found out about the plastic soup and the gyres, and I kept telling people there were hermaphrodite alligators here and there and everywhere um, because of the plastics leaching. But however many photographs of dead animals you see, it doesn't seem to mm -hmm. solve anything. So I thought, well, I'm not a wildlife photographer. I'm going to make something so bright and colorful and take it out of context uh, mm -hmm. to get your attention. And that's exactly uh, what it did, because people even here who know about it uh, started looking differently. And then I that grew because I couldn't stop collecting <laughs> and couldn't stop making. <laughs> I have okay. boxes labeled, really, all along the West Coast Scotland. And I started making... Uh, to make a book, really, uh, to try and show this process to children. But actually, mm -hmm. it's quite difficult stuff to make with because it's scruffy and dirty and it's never the same piece twice. So mm -hmm. for kids, you've got to find another way in to making mm -hmm. with it. And that was my process, really, and my own creative discovery to explore um, how to bring it alive. And I was very lucky. I had a very big studio to store it all in. And my mother saved every bit of domestic plastic and the village did. They used to put it in a big bin by the village shop and I'd wash it out and dry it and uh, start using it. And because my brother's a professional photographer and very generous, uh, I used to take it to the East Coast in Edinburgh and he photographed it all on white. And by elevating these artworks, if you like, onto white, specific mm. photographs so I could eventually print them up to like six meters big for the outside buildings and railings and make it public um, mm. for uh, the Natural History Museums, the science centers, the galleries, to try and get it on the street back in the cities. Mm. Um, so I have a huge, huge library of images. And... Wow. But still, I couldn't get funding and couldn't get people's attention. Right? And I was going mm -hmm. bananas. So um, I did apply for a very big grant to go touring around Scotland to creatively map it, but mm -hmm. uh, didn't get it. So then I went to Australia. My father lives there. And again, your horizons change. And I ended up on these beautiful beaches, which I know, and didn't find any plastic. And I was a bit stumped. Uh -huh. But of course, what it happens, and it was a brilliant, brilliant lesson, is that all the big stuff that we get here, like the big bottles and crates and big stuff, mm -hmm. is uh, ground down, of course, through the movement of the, the tides and waves and on the sand to tiny micro elements. So mm -hmm. I then 
spent two months um, going through on the white sands on the West Coast and going to the East Coast on the yellow sands, collecting microplastics. But that's not uh-huh. hard because it was warm and hot um, and very nice to do. Uh, and then, of course, I thought I had to change the name of the project, which I had called um, Plastic Sea, but it was a bit heavy. Mm-hmm. So uh, my father, who's a copywriter, gave me the name Let's Go to the Beach. And that became a whole upbeat way to come back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, But the whole idea was to come up with an edu- a creative education legacy. That's really what I was doing it for and I couldn't get any of the publishers to take it on because in London they didn't know what was going on I mean this is even eight years ago they didn't know and didn't get it uh so then I thought how can I fund this myself (laughs) I couldn't stop so we did um, uh, a crowdfund a kickstarter project and uh, got into designing my own designs onto sarongs uh to make the information accessible and fun and playful for the holiday maker. And interestingly, it was mostly the grannies and the aunties and the mums who were buying for their kids. Uh, mm-hmm. But also the youth of 20 plus got it. And uh, that started, again, I'd wanted to do that to get the books published. But having got our money and our product together, uh, that then got the money back to produce the book. And we self-published a six, well, uh, actually it's 590 pages, which is quite big. Uh, but wow, yes, really. Showing the process. Yeah. And then we just launched. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I'm sorry. I would say we could talk now for hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm covering and some interesting. To go on, to go on with yeah. it. It is totally interesting. And it is so important for us adults to got aware of it. What we what we give to the children, which will come later, yeah. which world we let them. And I think just projects like you do, just pioneers yeah, like <laughs> you are very important to to show to take the to show what happens. Well, thank you. It's a yeah. very great thing to hear. Thank you. Because you don't get <laughs> that much reactional encouragement when you're doing it on your own. It is a bit um Yeah. Heavy and it is important that you get a reaction. It and is. that's why we are very happy that you are in our podcast. <laughs> That you that we make it a bit more aware, a little bit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, it spreads you. it in another level and another platform. Yeah, and it, it's, yeah. it's utterly true because our children are our teachers, and the kids that I taught yeah. in the schools here and then the communities mm-hmm. are now twenty, and they they're the ones that say to their parents, "Don't buy that," or they might think, "I won't yeah. buy water in a bottle." They're the ones. And that I think, yeah, and I think this is a very good last question because we need to stop now (laughs) and listen to your children what do they say about the plastic about the world about uh, the the nature what is happening listen to them (laughs) absolutely thank you hannah thank you so much that you have been with us we will put uh, the link to your homepage then you can get more information. I say goodbye to all our listeners. Bonjour, arrivederci, au revoir, nasclerano. Bye.